You're listening to the voice of dog. I'm Kaki, your faithful fireside companion. And today's story is the first of two parts of Diamond in the Rat by Roan Rosser, author of Red Pandemonium. And you can find more of his works on roanrosser.com. Please enjoy Diamond in the Rat by Roan Rosser, part one of two. I'm bored, I muttered into Max's hair, tugging on the locks that I held like reins to make sure he heard me. The building was filled with nothing but old human stuff, and the humans were taking their time examining every little thing. Who cared how much the couch cost? Me too, Bug, Max ruffled the fur of my tail. But please stop pulling my hair like that. It hurts. I flattened my ears. Who was he to tell me what to do? I yanked up as hard as I could. Max yelped and jerked his head down. I tumbled head over paws, landing on my back on something soft and springy, momentarily losing my breath. Breathing was important. The first thing I'd learned when I'd woken up with a physical form earlier this month. Stop goofing off, Roderick said, crossing his arms and looking down his nose at me as I scrambled to my paws. Roderick was Max's older brother. He looked a lot like Max, short, brown hair, dark eyes, sharp features, except Roderick scowled more. I don't think he liked me much, but the feeling was mutual. I stuck out my tongue at him. I'm bored, I repeated, climbing up onto the back of the sofa I'd landed on. Careful, Park, don't scratch the leather. We can't afford to pay damages if you ruin it. Inez picked me up by my armpits and set me at her feet. Her I liked. She had curly dark hair and wore skirts. She was a witch. I told you we should have shopped at the thrift store, Max said. Roderick's eyes widened and he audibly gasped. I will not stoop to buying other people's cast-offs. Dude, how is this any different? Max made a broad gesture with both arms at the store we were in. These are antiques. They're vintage. Max rolled his eyes and turned towards me. Inez stifled a laugh with one hand, her eyes sparkling with mirth behind her glasses. "'Only poor people shop at thrift stores,' Roderick said, his voice cracking at the word poor. "'Which would be us,' Enos said. "'We are technically homeless until we can move into our rental next week.' Roderick's scowl deepened. He turned and stalked off without another word. Max watched him go with a pained expression, and I felt his guilt mixed with empathy— through our familial bond. Enos, don't poke him like that,' Max whispered to her. "'You know how hard this has been on him. We'll humor him here for another hour, then tomorrow you and I can go hit up the thrift stores without him. Rod doesn't have to know where the furniture came from.' "'Fine,' she said as Max reached for me, her eyes widening. She blocked his hands, then pointed at something hidden from my view behind the couch we stood in front of, and mouthed a word to Max. He glanced that way, and his eyes widened too. Max glanced around the empty shop. We were the only ones here except for a lone employee manning the cash register, her nose stuck in a book. He glanced down at me with a raised eyebrow. You can walk around, but try not to break anything. I padded off. Before I rounded the corner into the next aisle, Enos said, maybe we should get him one of those bubble backpacks, like for cats or a stroller. That would help save my shoulders, Max said, and my hair. 
no way were they putting me in either of those. They'd learn. The aisle I entered had a variety of things in it. Stuffed toys, statues, crystal animals, polished rocks, and more. The humans had passed it by because it didn't contain any furniture, but I'd spotted something interesting. A basket full of tiny cars. From the other side of the shelf, I heard Max say, Good thing Pog didn't see the toy electric cars. Too late, I thought with a chuckle, as I padded silently down the aisle, swiveling my head around as I looked for the wicker basket that held the cars. Help me! The faint cry was barely audible. I paused mid-step, paw in the air, and swiveled my ears around, trying to figure out where the voice had come from. If it was another human in the shop, I'd have to make sure they didn't see me. And if they needed help, I should go get Max. Help me! The voice wasn't yelling for help. It was more resigned, close to a whisper, like the speaker had repeated the words so often that they'd lost their meaning. My triangular ears pivoted towards the sound. Somewhere above me. That made sense, since humans were all so tall— Except I wasn't alone in this dead-end aisle. I stood up onto my back legs. I didn't do it often. It was hard to balance like this. But this gave me a better angle to see what was on the higher shelves. I spotted the side of the wicker basket that had the cars in it and forgot all about the voice. I tottered over to the shelf, my long tail swaying behind me, helping to keep my balance. Stretching up as high as I could, my front paws barely touched the bottom edge of the basket— Dang, I'd have to go get Max to help me. Except, when I tried to pull my paws away, one of my blunt claws caught in the wicker. I tried to bat at the stuck paw with the other to unstick it, only to catch a claw on that paw too. Max, help! I twisted and flailed, trying to get loose. My tail whipped around and hit the shelf, knocking off a bunch of human-shaped dolls with large, creepy smiles on their plastic heads. My efforts were rewarded. I felt the basket shift. Max came round the corner just as it pulled free. Toy cars bounced off my head and scattered all over the floor. I staggered back, dragging the empty basket with me, my claws still stuck in the side, and fell over. Pog, he said with a sigh and knelt on the floor. I held still while he worked my claws free of the wicker mesh. At least he didn't break anything. I wanted to see the tiny cars. Next time ask for some help, okay? He didn't sound angry that I'd found the cars that he hadn't wanted me to see. He gathered up cars and dumped them back in the basket. I kept my paws on a purple convertible and a white sedan. Max set the full basket next to me and cleaned up the dolls while I pushed the cars around. They didn't roll very well since the little wheels caught on the carpet. Max, we're leaving. Enos came around a corner with a slump-shouldered Roderick. All right. Max tilted the basket at me. Pog? Put the cars back so we can go. This one looks like Kay's old car, except it's purple. I want this one, I said. I tried to pick it up, but my paw couldn't close enough around it to get hold of it. Max glanced at the side of the basket. His eyes widened. Ten dollars each? Are you kidding me? He shook his head and took the cars from under my paws and returned to the basket. They're only a dollar brand new, he grumbled as he slid the basket back into place. I huffed and crossed my arms. Money, again. As he picked me up, Max said, I'll get you one next time I go grocery shopping. I climbed onto Max's shoulders and took hold of his hair. 
Help me! The voice was louder now, like it was right next to me, at Max's head height. Max began walking away. Max, we should help that person before we leave. I tugged on his hair. Help who, Pog? Max stopped and turned around. Didn't you hear them? Go back into the aisle. I kicked my back paws into his shoulders like the characters on television did to horses. Max was my trusty mount, after all. He humoured me and turned around. Help me! The cry was louder now, or I could hear it better. Now that I was this high up, I could see a lot more of the aisle than I could from the floor. Most of the bottom shelves were toys, and higher were more breakable things. The sound came from a case in the corner filled with crystal animals. The glass case, I said to Max, and kicked my legs again to get him moving. He dutifully moved over to stand in front of it. I scanned the shelves that were now at my eye level and waited for the voice to ask for help again. The figurines sparkled in the sunlight coming in through the front window. Help me! The voice could have come from one of several figures there, but a sheen of colour, like an oil slick, moved across one as I heard the voice. There, the crystal statue of the rat, I said. That's who just asked for help. Nobody said anything, Pog, Max said. I couldn't see his face from back here, but I felt the doubt in his words. Yes, they did. That crystal rat is asking for help. No need to point. It was the only rat statue there. Max held a hand up, pressing it lightly against the glass door. I don't feel any magic. Max, we said we're leaving, Roderick said, coming up behind us. Coming, Max said, dropping his hand and turning away from the case. No, we need to help the rat. I yanked hard on Max's hair. Ow, Max said, reaching overhead and pulling me off. Your shoulder privileges are revoked. What rat? Roderick asked, looking back and forth between us as Max settled me into his arms. You heard me? Help! Help! The monotonous, defeated tone was gone. Now it was desperate and more urgent. The crystal rat in the case! I curled my long striped tail up around and tapped on the glass. It's asking for help. Do you feel anything? Max asked, moving aside. Roderick had actual magic training, unlike Max. Roderick set his mouth and stood in front of the case for a moment. Then he turned away, shaking his head. No, the panda watches too much television, that's all. Let's go. Roderick walked away without waiting to see if Max followed him. Max, get the rat. It needs help. I wiggled around in his arms and pressed the top of my head into his chin. Humans loved that. Please? I drew the word out like human children do to their parents. Uh, let me see how much it is. He sighed and shifted my weight to his left arm so he could pull on the case door to open it. But it rattled, stuck. It's locked. He carried me over to the front desk and rapped on the counter to get the attention of the employee. The woman's eyes widened when she saw me, just like everyone's. Is that a freaking red panda? It's a plush, Max said, giving the usual answer. I waved just to mess with her. Max saw and grimaced. A puppet. Anyway, the crystal rat in the glass case over there. Uh, how much? It's not crystal, it's diamond, she said, and got a book out from under the counter. Under his breath, Max muttered, Fuck. I didn't understand his distress. 
Crystal. Diamond. What was the difference? They were both rocks. The employee flipped through the book a moment. Here we are. Oh, looks like the owner will only sell them as a full set of 12. No price listed. You'll have to call her if you're interested in purchasing them. Max's arm tightened around me. The employee pulled a card out of a holder next to the register and slid it across the counter to Max. Max didn't pick it up. Thanks. Max turned and left. As the door closed behind us, I struggled. Max pinned me to his chest so hard I could barely breathe. Max, you left without it, I wailed. We're not getting the rat, Pog, Max said as we joined Roderick and Enos on the corner. Rat? Enos repeated. The light changed and they crossed the street, walking away from the store. I struggled harder, but Max kept two firm arms around me, pinning me to his chest. Sometimes I hated being so small. Pog says it's talking, but it doesn't feel magical, Roderick said. I glared at the back of his head. I was going to buy it to humor him, but they're made out of diamond. And so expensive, there's not even a price listed. What the heck kind of antique store did you take us to, Roderick? A high-end one, Roderick sniffed, sounding like Max had just said something completely outrageous. Where else would we go? I felt insulted that Max felt he needed to humor me rather than believing me. Why don't you believe me? You said you couldn't feel Enos's magical protection charm either. And that's the whole point of a protection charm, Pog, Enos said. The long and short of it is, even if it is asking for help, we can't afford it. Why don't you ask Sonny? Max said. Humans and their money. Fine. Sonny was the vampire we were crashing with right now. She owned a top-floor penthouse condo in one of the new high-rises south of downtown. Nothing as nice as my old house, of course, but tolerable. Although it was only late afternoon when we got back, Sonny was already awake and playing on her laptop as she sat on the couch. I bounded out of the elevator, scrabbling a little on the tile in my excitement to reach her. I hit the side of the couch and climbed up and over the armrest. Sonny saw me coming and lifted the laptop up out of the way as I oozed into her lap. Sonny! Sonny! I stood on her legs and threw my paws around her neck. <laughs> nice to see you too, Poggy. Sonny set her laptop aside before petting my hand and back. I stood there a moment, enjoying the attention and the way her hands ruffled my fur. After a few minutes, I asked, Will you buy me something? Max said he couldn't afford it. I gave her the wide-eyed, cute look I'd been practicing in front of the mirror. Of course, Sonny began. Ask him what it is before you say yes, Max called from the kitchen, cutting her off. Damn it, Max, I almost had her. Sonny pushed me out to arm's length and gave me the look. I recognized it from when I was a house guardian, the look parents gave to naughty children. What is it you want? she asked in a deadpan tone. A diamond rat. Not just that, Max said, coming into the room, wiping his hands on a dish towel. You have to buy the whole set of twelve diamond animals. Sonny choked and sputtered. Her fangs came down and her eyes turned red. What? she growled. No, absolutely not. It was asking for help. I wiggled from her grip and snuggled up to her chest. Don't you want to help it? No. Sonny pried me off and dumped me on the floor. I've already done my yearly charity by letting you all crash here. What's the big deal? It's just money, I said, spreading my paws. I was still a bit hazy where money came from. 
Get a job, Roderick said, sitting on the opposite side of the couch. He had a deep scowl on his face. Then you'll see. Maybe I will. I got up on all fours and ran off to the bedroom to crawl under the bed. I curled up in a ball and buried my nose in my tail. No one believed me. But they hadn't heard the anguish in the voice. I knew what it was like to be trapped, unable to leave, abandoned by the family that created me. I would do anything to help them. Barnabas crawled up and chittered at me. He's a squirrel, and Enos is familiar. His sounds weren't really words, but I could understand what he meant. Him and the other animals. There are ways other than money. Like what? I uncurled enough to look at him over my tail. His big fluffy tail was curled into a question mark behind him. We could steal it. I considered this a moment. <sighs> Who was I kidding? Less than a moment. Let's do it. I crawled out from under the bed, shaking dust from my fur, but then paused and looked back at Barnabas. Wait, how? It's in a locked case higher than I can reach. Barnabas sat next to me, arms clutched to his chest, tail and nose twitching. His eyes gleamed. We'll need help, but we'll have to wait until after dark to go talk to her. Ooh, is she a vampire like Sonny? Barnabas looked offended, wrinkling up his nose. Don't be absurd. You already know the humans won't help. We waited until the humans had all gone to bed for the night. Once I was sure they were all asleep, I tiptoed out of bed. Before we left the room, I took Inez's purse, dumping the contents out all over the floor. It was small enough I could carry it in my mouth. Once we retrieved the rat, I could carry it back in the bag. Sonny had gone out to the club after the sun went down, so with the humans in bed, the condo was quiet and dark. Barnabas summoned the elevator by climbing the coat rack and leaping off of it to hit the call button. We snuck off the elevator, past the snoozing guard in the lobby, and out into the night. I felt a little thrill as my paws hit the pavement. I'd never been out alone before. Max had been worried about people thinking I'd escaped from the zoo or stealing me because he said red pandas were rare. I'd seen enough of people's odd behavior when they thought I was just a realistic plush toy to understand his caution. But this mission was important. Barnabas chittered at me to follow and scampered off. I couldn't respond with the bag handle clenched in my teeth, but I jerked my tail to show I understood. Crouched down low on all fours with my tail stretched behind me, I made a low profile. By sticking close to the buildings in the shadows, I stayed unnoticed by the few humans passing by in their cars. Sonny's condo building was one of the few residential ones in this part of town, with the rest being offices and restaurants that were empty after business hours, so the sidewalks were clear. Barnabas led the way into a small park that sat between two office buildings. A huge oak spread its branches over a circle of benches, grass, and flower beds. Dozens of yellow eyes blinked down at us from between the leaves. I followed Barnabas slowly, craning my head back to keep the watchers in view. A massive raccoon, the largest I'd ever seen, climbed down the trunk. They were longer and taller than me by a bit, though my tail was longer than hers. Barnabas, darling, she said, sitting in front of him on her back legs, her grey and black striped tail lazily flicking behind her. What brings you to see me and my humble family? Like Barnabas, despite the lack of words, I understood the intent of what she said. Well met, dudes, 
Barnabas chittered. We have a job that needs doing, and you were the first I thought of. Oh, I'm flattered, but what is this job? Her eyes flicked over Barnabas and settled on me as I joined them. I sat Enos's bag at my feet and regarded the raccoon. When I'd been a house spirit, after my humans had gone, leaving me abandoned and empty, raccoons had tried to move in several times. I'd always been able to scare them off within a few hours. They hadn't intimidated me then, but now that I was the same size of them, and we were thoroughly outnumbered to boot, I found myself too scared to speak. After a few moments of silence, Barnabas answered for me. My friend here is planning a heist. Do you want in? Depends. What's the score? Her eyes cut over to me, calculating and sharp. I took a moment to compose myself, focusing on why we were here. There's an antique store near the river called Relics and Rarities. The score... I paused, not sure why raccoons would want to help us steal a diamond figure of a rat. I decided to be honest and let them decide. Is a dozen diamond figures. I'm only interested in the rat. You can take the rest as your fee. <gasps> Diamonds? Her eyes sparkled, and she took a few steps towards us. Are they shiny? I nodded. They glittered like rainbows in the sun. Oh, we're in. She rubbed her front paws together. I know the store, but they have guards. We'll need someone to take them out if they come to investigate. I know someone. Pog, you stay here while I go get them. Barnabas scampered off. With him gone, Diutz and I eyed each other warily. My name's Pog, I said after a moment and stuck out a paw. Diutz. She looked at my paw, but didn't move to take it. Maybe shaking was only a human thing. I lowered my arm. You're really brightly colored for a raccoon, she said. I'm from China. It's really far away from here across the ocean. I'd looked up Red Panda facts on Sonny's laptop with her one evening after Max went to bed, because I'd been curious about what I was now. That seemed to satisfy her. "'What the heck is that?' I asked when Barnabas returned. The animal walking next to the squirrel dwarfed Barnabas in size and was bigger around than Deutz. Of course, that was because of the collection of long, pointy-looking hair that puffed out from its back and rattled slightly as it walked. "'I'm a porcupine.' she said in a low voice. "'This is Clatter,' Barnabas chattered, pointing to his friend. "'She's agreed to come along and help take out any guards.' "'How?' I asked, looking her over. Most of her size appeared to be her puffy, clacking fur, and she didn't look scary. "'My quills are really sharp,' she said, shuffling her feet. "'Humans are scared of them. "'But my price for helping is one of the shinies,' she said. Hmm? "'Fine by me.' One for me, one for Clatter. I looked at Barnabas. What's your price? Nothing. I believe you about the voice. I want to help them too, Barnabas chittered. All right, that leaves ten for the raccoons. Is that acceptable? I turned to Diutz. Works for me, Diutz said. Now that everyone's here, let's come up with a plan, I said. We hunkered down, and I sketched out the layout of the antique store using twigs and leaves. There's the front door. I put a paw on the twig that I'd used as its marker. The case with the shiny animals is here. I touched the leaf marking the display case near the front of the store. They're on a high shelf, so we'll need a way to get up to it after we get inside. Diutz sat up and gestured at the raccoons, watching us from the branches. 
Three of them scampered down the tree and joined us. Show them, Diut said. The three raccoons formed a tower, standing on each other's shoulders. Stacked that way, they were almost as tall as Max. Perfect. Except the case is locked. How are we going to get it open? I've got that part, Barnabas said, and pulled two twists of wire from the fur of his tail. Enos taught me how to pick locks. Now I liked Enos even more. Can you get the one on the front door, too? I asked. Not gonna work, Diut said. Most of the places around here pull big metal bars down over the doors and windows at night. So we can't get in that way, I grumbled. Or could we? I'd played hours of car racing games with Sonny, and in one, you tried to crash in spectacular ways. The speeding cars could go through brick walls. What if I crashed a car through it? That would take down the bars, right? You just want to drive a car again, Barnabas chittered with a laugh. Hmm, he wasn't wrong. But where would we get a car? I shrugged. I hadn't gotten that far in my plan. It doesn't matter anyway, Diut shook her head. If you do that, the humans will come running from every direction and will never get the shinies. How do we get in then? I asked. The roof, Diut said. Humans can't climb, so they usually forget about high-up entrances. She gave me and Clatter an appraising glance. I can climb, I said, flexing my front paws. I'd seen red pandas climbing trees in videos, although I hadn't tried to do it myself. We all looked at Clatter with her puffy, hard fur. Porcupines are natural climbers, too. Don't worry about me, she said. Are you sure there'll be a way in from the roof? I asked. There almost always is, Diut said, flicking her tail. Roof it is, then. I clapped my paws, imitating Roderick's authoritative voice. Let's go. Ah, uh, one more thing, Diut said, pointing at me. Your fur is too bright. We'll be spotted for sure. I looked down at my black stomach fur. Not that. The orange on your back and your face. You'll need a disguise. She has a point. Barnabas chittered. How? I asked. With this, Diut said. A bunch of raccoons swarmed out of the bushes. Each had something clenched in their fists. The first reached me and dumped what they were carrying all over my back. Dust? I said, craning my head around to look as the raccoon rubbed it in, turning my pretty fur a muddy grey. Clay. It'll wash out, don't worry, Diut assured me. After they finished, I wandered over to the closest window to look at my reflection. I almost looked like a raccoon now. I rather liked my bright colours, but I guess it was okay, as long as it was temporary. And this had to be easier to get out than the sticky marshmallow fluff that Max had accidentally covered me in a few weeks ago. Our motley crew set off for relics and rarities. This was the first of two parts of Diamond in the Rat by Roan Rosser, read for you by Kaki, your faithful fireside companion. Tune in next time to find out how the characters steal the figurines and save the rat. As always, you can find more stories on the web at thevoice.doc or find the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to The Voice of Dog.